Hey everybody, I'm back here with the Sandwich Rod Steel Hider Podcast, and I'm at the Lama Glass Fishing Rod Factory with Roger Hinchcliffe. Roger, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about uh, what you've been up to. When did you get here uh, to the West Coast? Uh, I came in last week uh, for the Pialop Show, which was a fantastic show. Yeah, and for sure. Then I went fishing. Good, yeah. And... Uh, uh, actually, at the time of our last podcast with Lael and Keith, Roger was just rolling into town that night, and uh, so we were up uh, on the north coast of Washington, and tell me, how did that uh, day of fishing go for you? Uh, we went pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I got a, I, yeah, I hooked four fish, and yeah. one of them was a real good one. Yes. So. But, you know, it's tough, like if you're bead fishing with barbless hooks, mm-hmm. if those fish come out of the water, it's tough to keep them pinned, you know. But I was lucky enough to, to land one on a worm. Yeah, now that's, uh, the regulations are, are pretty crazy. So Roger's from Michigan, and uh, what's it like for regulations out there? You know, it's not as stringent as mm-hmm. it is here. Mm-hmm. You know, full transparency. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty nice to fish there. Yeah. So, for instance, for us, uh, there's certain areas you can fish out of a boat, and there's other areas that you can't. We've got some barbless, no bait regulations going on. And then no right scent. Now. No scent. Yeah. yeah which, of course... Uh, you love to include in your arsenal and stuff. So For sure. out there in Michigan, I mean, is there closures going on or is it pretty open-ended as far as I'm No, concerned? it's all open. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, That's the steelhead fishery is very healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're truly blessed. They stock 5.2 million in the Great Lakes region. So Yeah, and we actually, you know, stock more than that here, but our return rate in the ocean averages about half a percent to one percent wow and out there what is it for a- well they you know the return rate varies depending on the stream but we like to say 10 percent or less wow well that would be incredible to get yeah. i mean a 10 percent return we're planting a ton of small into these rivers and if we saw a 10 percent return it would be absolute insanity but uh yeah so um now today i wanted to talk to you a little bit about or quite a bit about flow fishing but one factor in particular the floats themselves or bobbers if you want to call them what do you call them well yeah it depends on who you ask right mm-hmm. the fly guys call them strike indicators yes yeah and then the hardcore float fishermen like center pin guys they call them floats yes and at the end of the day, I call them bobbers. It's a bobber. It's a bobber. <laughs> oh, they're out there bobber fishing. Yeah, that's how it goes. And uh, when was the first time you ever used a bobber? Not for steelhead, but... Oh, my goodness. Uh, like when I was eight years old. Was it one of those red and white ones, or what was it? Uh, actually, it, it, I used the red and white ones, and I used the old uh, white and yellow uh, Carlisle spring-loaded floats. Yeah. My first fish was bluegill, yep. you know, under yeah. a float. Most people start out that way. Oh, and it's that's a blast, getting bobber downs on those light little floats. So, going into uh, the steelhead realm, 
Um, do you use a variety of floats or do you stick with one or two? Or? Yeah, I use a lot of different floats. Um, my favorite float to use is a stemmed float. Okay. Right. So that's a stem on both sides? Yeah, and the top and the bottom. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's several reasons why I like to use those floats, but um, if you're you know, wanted me to share a tip with your listeners. If you're gonna buy a stem float, a factory float, the first thing I would do is put it between my thumb and the index finger mm -hmm. and, and spin it. Okay. And, and the purpose of that is these mass-produced floats, um, if they're slightly crooked, it does two things. It causes line twist when you cast. Okay. And then more importantly, it causes the float not to track Right. Okay, and, and so, that's important for sure. So uh, you're just kind of spinning it in your fingers and observing vision, looking for wobble. Yeah, in the stem itself. On that's the, correct. On the bottom or top. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Now, uh, so that would be where where you literally have like a circular stem sticking out. You're not referring to yeah, and the top and bottom like yeah. Back home, we use a lot of floats that have a graphite stem, mm -hmm. and most of them are made overseas. They're mass-produced, and yeah. sometimes you can get one that is not perfectly centered all the way through, mm -hmm. and, and you get that wobble, and you don't want that, you know. Yeah, so um, give me some examples of maybe stem float names or looks or uh, Well, so, you know, well, there's when you're talking about the anatomy of a float, I mean, out here, you guys go by ounces of weight. Yes, we do. Back home, we go by grams. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's important, too, when you um, shot or weight your float to make sure that it's up to the water cocking line. Mm -hmm. A lot of our floats will have the white line, the stripe around it. Yep. Or, you know, if you're using the, the slip floats that have <clears throat> the painted tops, mm -hmm. right? And that's another thing uh, about floats is... I hate to say this, but some manufacturers, their paint that they use on the top of their floats mm -hmm. isn't very visible from long distances. Yes, that's a big factor. Um, and especially, I'm sure, out there where you're doing really long center pin drifts. So mm -hmm. what's what's a good paint to have up top? What color? Well, my favorite like? is orange. Orange, okay. You know, and, and I really like to use a fixed stem float mm -hmm. uh, due to something that I call the lift. Um, you can Google it. You won't find it. Nobody talks about the lift. Everyone talks about fall rate. Mm -hmm. And the lift is very important. And I actually used that this week to actually get the big fish that I got. And basically what it is is like if you've ever watched how an egg tumbles, mm -hmm. as it's tumbling down the stream, all of a sudden it will stall, mm -hmm. it will fall, and then it will rise up and lift. Oh. And it'll fall again and tumble again along the bottom. And it just continually does that as it's going down the stream. And so it's natural for fish to see that lift. Mm -hmm. And what I like to do is stop the spool, whether it's a center pin or a bait caster, mm -hmm. and allow that bait to lift up off the bottom yeah. and then let it go again. And then you get that fall rate, and a lot of times you get a strike. Yeah. Now, so this particular fish, the, the big fish I caught on Monday, I'd already made three passes through there. Yeah. 
And so as I went through the sweet spot, I stopped it and caused it to lift and I let it go, boom. Yeah, so now that was on a worm, correct? That was on a worm, yeah. So even even having uh, that worm kind of lift and fall, not just a bead or an egg. Uh, That's correct. Spontac. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, because kind of... I mean, if you see a bait fish that's dying, yeah. it goes up and then it'll fall, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, you know, and it's just a theory. Mm -hmm. I just know that nobody talks about the lift and it mm -hmm. works really, really well. Yeah. And that's why I like to use a fixed float because a fixed float allows me to, to get that lift quicker yeah. than a slip float. Yeah. But you can do the same thing with a slip float. Yeah, immediately make contact and uh, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the difference between fixed and slip. And in my experience out here in the Northwest, anywhere that I can use a fixed flow, I would prefer to use it because it's just less points of weighting and contact and sliding and all those things. It, mm -hmm. it, it kind of, it's quieter when it hits the water. You can kind of manipulate it and adjust it easier. You yes. can easily see if your bait is hitting bottom. Yes. Um, where where will you use fixed and if you use slip where will you change to that really uh personally it's tough to get a fixed float in the gram weight or the ounce weight needed for out here because your rivers are much larger yeah like i was running a one ounce um float yeah and, and weight mm -hmm. to where back home i might run something as light as eight grams to 15 to 20 grams, just mm -hmm. depends on the river. And we have some tributaries that are so small and so slow, a six gram float, if you can believe that, six So grams. six grams in relation to ounces, what's that at? Uh, it's not very much. I mean, it's basically six. Eighth ounce or something? Yeah, or? it would be about eighth ounce. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. and it, yeah, it definitely depends on the river out here. Like some of the stuff we were up at, um, this weekend, I would definitely depend on a on a slip float more. And for those of you that uh, don't know the difference, a fixed float, uh, you will run the line through it or around it with some rubber bands or something to fasten or it. Surgical tubing. Surgical tubing, exactly. Yeah. And you're going to move it up and down with your hands uh, to set the depth. But other than that, it doesn't move on the line. Whereas a slip float is secured between bobber stops and such so that it can. Uh, as soon as it hits the water, it's going to slide up to the stop uh, and reach that target depth range. Yeah, and, so and I, 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 the the slip float is a really good choice if you're going to be in deeper water, mm -hmm. right? Because most steelhead are caught in four to eight foot of water, but you have some rivers out here that have some deep holes. Yeah, right. Yeah. And at certain times of the year, you know, they're in that deeper water, and you got to go deep to get them. For sure. So out here on the West Coast, um, it is interesting that you mentioned that you were using a one ounce float. Um, that is something that I believe should be done more often than it is for steelhead. Well, what I say is slow your roll through the hole. Yeah, absolutely. I know that rhymes, yeah. but yeah. I mean, slow your roll through the hole. I mean, if the fish are super negative and they're just not willing to bite, I mean, sometimes slowing it down that much, you know, you, you might not get the bite, but mm -hmm. sometimes by slowing down that presentation, um, you know, I just wrote an article on float speed mm 
and I don't want to ruin that because that's going to get published and I yeah. won't go into that too much. But um, basically, you're just slowing your presentation down and it gives the fish a chance to get a better look at it. And maybe in uh, dirtier water situations, that can be crucial to getting bit. Yes. And there's the old adage of walking speed water and what have you, but I'm a big believer that a lot of fish in, in in some cases really big fish do hold in that faster than walking speed water they do they do i mean typically on a on a classic steelhead hole or steelhead run if you really break it down you you should be able to get four lines mm -hmm. meaning four different lines that you would want to run your bobber through mm -hmm. and one of the things that most guys overlook is what i call tiny bubbles mm. okay. they'll they'll see you know you've heard the old adage foam is home yep. right and there's no question foam is home but sometimes those little little bubbles of foam People overlook that and they go for the bigger foam line. Yeah. And you've got to hit it all because you just don't know where those steel are going to be. Are they going to be on the, the uh, holding on the outside of that or on mm -hmm. the inside of that? And then, uh, you know, closest to you, same thing. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, that's definitely something I think that steelhead anglers should pay attention to is sometimes using those heavier floats in faster flow. Uh, what's kind of typical out here. Steelhead anglers, they'll fish a quarter ounce, half ounce, and maybe a three quarter ounce float, but they don't go up to those heavier floats until it's salmon time. Mm -hmm. And then they're into the two ounce, three ounce, you know, you'll see sometimes, and then they're really slowing it down yeah. uh, for the Chinook. But that's interesting. I think uh, that's, I, I just find it interesting that you mentioned that knowing kind of the water levels we are at, one ounce. That's something I think people should definitely think about more. Uh, well, even before this blowout, I mean, mm -hmm. technically, you know, your rivers were still fairly low. Yeah. But that's slowing it down a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, letting that fish get a good look at it. Because in, in that one podcast we did on Steel I Don't Wear Sunglasses, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you got to help the fish help you, right? Yes. Remember that light refraction and 65% of that light penetration is UV light. Yeah. And you know, uh, the fish need to see it. Mm -hmm. Slowing it down is a good way to go. And also, you know, steelhead may be the fastest freshwater fish, but they are not the most aggressive feeder. It's no, no, they can be, um, they can be a challenge. They are the most color conscious fish on planet Earth, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, I tell people all the time: if the bite slows, always change color. Mm -hmm. Or if you're in a run and you absolutely know you visually have seen fish in that run, mm -hmm. if you're not getting bit, obviously try something else or yeah. try a different depth. But color. Oh my goodness, I just can't overemphasize, you know, and I've actually talked to people that think, oh, steelhead are stupid, they'll hit anything, and color doesn't make a difference. I think that is horse pucky, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. No, I mean, thinking about just the best anglers that I've fished with as far as just producing fish, it color is so huge. They're constantly switching things out. Yeah, I mean... One one time on the river, me and two other anglers, we were out, 
and during the course of the day we were in a fish bowl mm-hmm. meaning and i normally don't like to fish those areas where there's a dam the fish cannot go any further and they just stack yeah. up yeah but they wanted to have a rail session and that's fine mm-hmm. we changed bead colors 30 times between the three of us that day oh wow what and if you- i if i told you how many fish came aboard the boat you wouldn't believe me but it just trust me it yeah. was it was a rail fest yeah now, what did you find uh, experimenting with those colors? Just um, that, changing the color, something they haven't seen, right? Because um, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the, the podcast, but most people aren't aware that fish actually have memory spans, mm-hmm. right? So they took rainbow trout and put them in, in a tank with a black bar. If they nudged the black bar, food pellets would come out and feed them, and they left them in there for three months. Then they took those fish out and put them in another tank that had no black bar and they were hand fed. Mm-hmm. Three months later, they took them out and put them in the tank with the black bar. Guess what? They proved that they remembered. They knew to hit the black bar and get fed. So what happens is, especially on wild fish that you can't keep, mm-hmm. right? If you catch that fish and release it, that fish has been educated, yes. right? And, you know, um, you know, they're nervous creatures that are always on the move, but in colder water temperatures where they'll settle down and just chill, they've seen beads, they have seen jigs, they have seen worms, and that's why I'm a big fan of switching things up and trying something different, you know. Yeah, and especially in that case of where you've got fish stacking up and they're observing other fish getting caught and seeing things coming by, so... Yeah. yeah, colors colors are huge. Um, well, that just brought me to another thing that I suggest to people. And again, it's just an opinion. Mm-hmm. But a lot of guys like to use high-vis line, right? Uh, you mean for the, for the actual floating section? Yeah, for the main line. They yeah. use high-vis line, which I understand, so you can see what your line is doing and bend yeah. it. And on my center pin, I don't use colored line. And on my baitcaster, where I am running braid, I always tie in a mono bumper. Yeah. Um, but the reason for that is when you hook a fish, as you're fighting the fish through the run, if you've got all that colored line, mm-hmm. the fish are seeing laser beams yeah. come through there, you know. And that's just another stealthy way to help guys catch more fish. Yeah, and catch more fish out of the same hole. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, is it... It's just an opinion, yeah. right? I just feel like those extra things mm-hmm. can help an angler catch more fish, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you're putting together a thousand different factors, and maybe it only has a 1% increase, but hey. Well, anything that can to help you catch more fish, why not? Why not? Why not? You know, why not? And I know some guys, they'll take a black magic marker, mm-hmm. and, you know, they'll color their you know, high-vis braid, you know, that works too. Hmm. Isn't black still pretty visible to them, though? I think it is, but some guys do that. It makes them feel better. Me, personally, I don't like to do that. Yeah. I'd rather run mono. Mm-hmm. And, the other, and, and there's a lot of guys that run fluorocarbon as a bumper, and I will not do that yeah. at all. Yeah. Because fluorocarbon is a hard, dense material that sinks, mm-hmm. where floral, or, uh, mono is more neutral, buoyant. Yeah. Right, and so especially on a bead rig, right? So you can picture the float on an angle, and then the bait comes down, and along with the the bead at the end, it's all on an angle. Yeah, 
You see what I mean? Yeah. So again, it's just an opinion, but I would tell guys, instead of using fluorocarbon for your bumper, run mono, good old fashioned sure. mono. And that's in regards um, to, just for you guys that are listening, that's in regards to the bumper that's running down to your float, not a bumper of leader. Right, that's so correct. Yeah, your leader so, is gonna be fluorocarbon, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, and also fluorocarbon, I've seen tests that when fluorocarbon is stretched basically to its max point, it does weaken up. Whereas mono has a lot more resistance against Yeah, that. so like an average mono is gonna have a stretch retention factor of 15 to 35%, depending on the brand. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, it, and it acts kind of as a shock absorber, yeah. which would then allow the angler to maybe run some smaller bra- or uh, leader line. Yeah. You know, and and that's another thing I would tell people. Everyone's so focused on pound test, but you should be looking at line diameter. And today, in today's world, we have the best lines we've ever had. Yeah. You know, and the best ones, in my opinion, come out of Japan. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go back to floats, though, for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, So, if you could break it down... um, for anglers, you know, and we talk low, slow, clear water, yep, and then medium flows, and then fast flows. Um, give us some suggestions on floats to try. It doesn't have to be specific brands, but maybe you could name some things to look for in floats. Well, what I would tell you to do is, uh, especially up here, because your rivers can get so clear, mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of clear floats, Okay. right? Mm-hmm. Um, not to not to say that I don't run gray or white. I've actually spray painted floats uh, gray and white years ago to mm-hmm. blend it with the ambient sky. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I would tell them, um, you know, it, it depends on the flow too, right? Mm-hmm. So if if you've got uh, a, a lot of flow or a lot of current, you're going to have to run more weight. Mm-hmm. It's really tough to get those fixed floats in those uh, high uh, gram weights, you know, that's needed to slow it down. And the other thing would be depth because on a slip float, um, you could go super deep with that, right? Where a fixed float, you're going to have a hard time trying to cast eight, an eight-foot float that's set to the yes. leader, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just difficult to cast. So, And it also depends how far you're casting, too. Yep. And so on a slip float, another thing I didn't mention earlier, what's beneficial to a slip float is they spin on the line, mm. right? Because it goes right down the center of it. So it helps with line twist. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. but that's what I would tell people, uh, pick your float based on the flow and the depth and, you know, how far you got to cast. Yeah. And um, now, do you run different types of floats depending on if you're using, say, a jig versus a bead? Um, no, not really. It just depends on where where i'm at yeah but uh, full transparency if i can run a fixed float i prefer a fixed float yeah. due to that lift because i i just feel like it generates more strikes mm-hmm. you know no i'm with you i really started out uh fishing mostly fixed floats and it was it taught me a lot about my presentation very quickly mm-hmm. because of how responsive they are you can tell when you're hitting the bottom if you just lift a little bit with your line it will affect what's going on mm-hmm. below 
But I have found, you know, thinking about the lift concept, I've had times where I've done a mend or something that has lifted it up, mm -hmm. it's dropped back down, and three feet later down the run, you get a bobber down. Yeah. Well, see, now you're proving what I'm trying to tell people it's about I've the lift about. and the fall rate. Another thing people will do is they'll stop their spool mm -hmm. right, right at the end of the run, and all of a sudden everything will straighten out and kind of swing through there, and yeah. they'll, or they'll get a hit. Yeah. Or they stopped it and started to reel it. Yeah. Right. And then they get a hit. You yeah. know what I mean? For so sure. it's um, it's one of those things where uh, it can't hurt right? yeah. to try it. Yeah, to try sure. it. Um, the, the, the other thing, too, I forgot to mention is on a fixed float, it's easier to mend without disturbing uh, the presentation. Right, especially back home. On a, on a fixed float? On a fixed float. See, I would think it's easier on a slip float with a heavy weight beneath it kind of stabilizing. Well, it. no, it, it, it can do either or, but where I was going with this was explaining what I call a soft mend. Mm -hmm. People need to learn to soft mend yeah, regardless yeah. of what float they're using. Correct. Yeah. Right, because back home we have 33 degree water, mm -hmm. which is super, super cold, and it's down to a game of inches. Mm -hmm. And like if you just wildly are mending your line, oh, yeah. you're pulling it right out of the strike zone because you literally got to bump these fish on the nose. Yeah, yeah. I, I do see that a lot, just kind of pulling and mending, and it's dragging the float all over, pulling it out of the zone. And it's kind of a, you really just got to have time on the water to learn how to do that soft mend. And yes. you're, you're playing with the wind maybe affecting it. Well, wind can really cause, like, yeah, I was on, uh, I was on the river yesterday and mm -hmm. the wind was really bad and it was hard to mend. Yeah, but yeah. thank God that didn't happen until later in the afternoon. But yeah. what what guys need to remember is just to take their time and just pick it up slowly and maybe not as aggressive and just mend a little. Mm -hmm. You know, just, yeah. you know, I call it soft mending. Yeah. And there's sometimes you even need to sacrifice for a little bit and not mend. That's until correct. Until your line is, is far enough down where you can make a soft mend. Well, what... So I wrote, I wrote an article, it's called Fishing is Mathematics, and I talk about angles. Yeah. Um, fishing is about angles. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of times guys say, well, the guy in the front of the boat is going to get the first crack at the fish. And yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. However, in certain situations, the guy at the back of the boat has a better angle, mm -hmm. and he's not mending as much, disturbing the presentation, and can actually catch more fish. Yeah, so you want to try to mend as less as possible, mm -hmm. in my opinion. And when you do it, do it perfect. Yeah. Do it perfect yeah. and take your time and kind of do a soft mend. For sure. Yeah, so now um, we've kind of covered a bit about floats. Uh, you mentioned orange is your favorite uh, kind of top color to see. Um, what about some of them have a couple colors up top. Yeah, they do. I mean, you know, chartreuse, some guys love a chartreuse mm -hmm. top, you know. Um, I personally don't care for it. Yeah. Um, and maybe part of it is because I'm getting older and mm -hmm. i got to wear glasses to read. And yeah. you know how it is. That's what happens when you get old. But Now, you, know. you also mentioned that, uh, what do you call it, line um, on the, the bumper? 
No, the line on the float where it's supposed to sit. Yeah, the water cocking line. Water cocking. And all that is, is like if you buy uh, one of the clear floats that just has the orange top. Yeah. And there's no white stripe around it. Yeah. All you want to do is make sure you have enough weight to where that just touches the water. It's, yeah. it's at that water line, and we call it the water cocking line. Now, is there any advantage or disadvantage to that? Say your float is just a touch lighter and it's above that, what's gonna happen? Well, I, I, you mean it's it's above, like the float is sticking out of the water? Yes. The only time that I like to do something like that, like undershot a float or yeah. underweight a float is during the winter time back home. Oh, okay. When I'm running jigs, because I usually run a jig in, in that cold water, what happens is those fish will bite so light, mm -hmm. sometimes the strike is very, very subtle and they just suck the bobber yeah. down a little bit and not even take it completely under. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I've seen, almost like an ice fisherman, yeah. where you've seen them just kind of suck on the, yeah. and the bobber's going up and down just a little bit, and it's not even going completely under. That would be the only time out here, because your water temps very rarely get below 38 degrees. Yeah, You just want to make sure that that float is neutral buoyant, and it's weighted right at that water cocking line, because it was designed to do that. And yeah. why you want to do that is that means it's the least resistance for the fish to pull it under, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. For sure. Um, do you think that fish feel a float when they bite it? Uh, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, because when, when trout or steelhead or any fish, you've seen them bite a bait, they'll suck it in, and we call it bite and spit. Yeah. You know, uh, they can feel that. For sure, they're very sensitive creatures. But I bass mean. are doing that too on a on fish a, on a bait without a float. You yeah. Know? So I'm wondering how much they feel that pressure from above. Yeah. Well, what it is too. I mean, if you get a good day where the the steelhead are biting like a savage, I mean they just yeah. crush it where that bobber drains just immediately. Yeah. Um, and where there's been days on some of these big fish I've caught out here. Literally, the float slowly goes down, yes. almost like you have a snag. Yeah. And I would tell people that's out there listening, if your float's doing that, immediately set the hook. Yep. Hook sets are free. They are. And I have actually made that mistake out here and not set yes. the hook and come to find out it was a fish. Yeah. And oftentimes, a big fish. The big fish do that. Because they will sit in the current. Yep. They'll line up with where your bait is. Yep. They'll close their mouth and they don't even move. Yep. Whereas I feel like these smaller fish, they come up to it, bite it and turn like a trout does. Yeah. Well, it just depends on the mood of the fish. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It just depends. But any guys that's ever plugged fish mm -hmm. know how savage a steel egg can bite a plug. They, yeah, they can. I, I just have personally noticed in my experience, not saying it's the rule, a lot of big fish bobber downs are these slow helicoptering yep, yep. float downs. Yep, it's and that's all the more reason to make sure your float is at that water cocking line. Yeah. I mean, these little things that we've shared today, mm -hmm. it's not the end all be all to catch all fish, yeah. but I think anything the angler can do to help stack things in his favor, mm -hmm. uh, I think it helps. For sure. Uh, real quick, what kind of bobber stops do you like to do? You know, I, I use the string stops a lot, but I also use the rubber ones. Yeah. And it really depends. Now, if I'm using braided line, mm -hmm. I always like to use the um, 
um, you know, the, the string stops yeah, versus yeah. The, the rubber. Now, what I've taken to doing in the last couple of years, and it's worked perfect for me, is just take 15 or 20 pound mono and mm -hmm. do a single uni knot on the line. Yep. Pull it super tight. Yep. And cut off the tag ends to where there's just a little bit on there. And that to me, just to the listeners, I'm telling you, give it a shot. Mono, 15 to 20 pound, do a single uni knot onto your line. What's nice is you don't have to put it on before everything else. Right. You can put it on after or before, and I have never had a problem with that. But um, whereas those string ones, when they come with the little green yeah. string, those eventually fray. and. Yeah, they do. There's no question. That yeah. is the downside of using them. But um, like, for example, if you're running um, like the P-Line Hydro Float, it's got mm -hmm. that coating. Yeah. Right. If you run a rubber stop on that, it's just going to pull that coating right off the braid. Yeah, for sure. To where the the, the string stops don't do that. Yeah. So everything has pluses and minuses. Oh, totally. Totally. But if you're yeah. fishing right mm -hmm. and you're in the zone... You'll probably be snagged and lose some stuff, and yeah. at that time you can always retie another one. You totally, know? totally. So, uh, you got a real nice fish over the weekend, and uh, you mentioned it was on a worm. Yep. Uh, what, what What's your top favorite worm colors? Um, I'm a huge fan of the WFO worms. Yeah, they're um, great. Yeah. Yeah, and I love Mystic Pink. That one I have seen. Yeah, Mystic Zoe Pink. Keith Johnson's wife, Zoe Johnson, yep. put in a clinic on yep. that one. Well, the, the the reason why I like their worms so much is um, if you hold that worm bef between your thumb and index finger, mm -hmm. and I mean literally don't move your hand, mm -hmm. that worm will still jiggle and move. <laughs> the it action does. of it. And then their iridescence, I think iridescence is overlooked by a lot of anglers. Mm. I don't know how they get the iridescence in those worms, but I think yeah. it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I remember before Rusty Bell sold it, yeah. um, going to his shop in Scapoos, I believe, and watching him pour. It was a really cool yeah. experience, and they definitely do make some really nice worms. Uh I think you sacrifice a little bit in durability to get that action. That's but, that's correct. Yeah, but it's still a really nice action. For well, sure. I mean, like like a plug fisherman, they'll say it's all about the wiggle. Yeah. Right, and then there's some days where that that extra action of that worm puts mm -hmm. fish in the net. For sure, for sure. Okay, well, uh, give us a quick rundown on the fall steelhead run in uh, Michigan this year. How was it? It was fantastic. Um, we had a big fish year. Mm. Um, in case your listeners don't know, what gives you a big fish year all has to do with water temperature. Mm. So out where I'm from, because things get so cold, if we have a mild winter, the water temperatures aren't as cold, mm -hmm. which causes the fish's metabolism to still stay you know, up there, mm -hmm. and they feed more. Okay. So to where if it was super, super cold and the Great Lakes actually froze over, their metabolism would go down to a crawl and they don't feed as much. So big fish years, most of the time, is due to temperature yeah. and their metabolism not slowing down and they just feed more. And then when we get, when they come up, 
You know what I mean? In the yeah. spring or the fall, man, it's game on, big fish. That's really cool. It's it's a different, it's a whole different game than the ocean. You know, there's similarities between the two. I mean, the Great Lakes is massive. Yeah. Um, but you know, the Pacific Ocean doesn't freeze over. No, it and, doesn't. Uh, but I mean, you know, if you had a, a really cold, cold winter that was mm-hmm. unseasonable, yeah, I mean, it would affect their metabolism just like it does in the for Great sure. Lakes. For sure, so they're the same thing. That's my favorite uh, time is to have a mild winter. You yeah. know, plus we don't get all the snow because mm-hmm. that snow sucks. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, you guys fish in crazy conditions. If you listen to us. Northwesterners uh, complaining about fishing and 30 degree weather. How yeah, does that feel? I, I mean, yeah, I mean, no offense because I got a lot of friends out here, but mm-hmm. yeah, this ain't cold. Yes. You know, I remember launching on the Manistee River in 14 below zero. That's insane. And we had to unfreeze the boat to get it off the trailer. And uh, now we did know that the temps were going to get up to around 22, 24 degrees. Wow. And that's why we went ahead and still launched. Yeah. Uh, but fishing in, in 20 degree weather, uh, that's nothing on the river. That's crazy. Us. That's yeah. crazy. You have to deal with icing. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to watch your guides. You ice up all the time and it's a pain in the butt. But during those cold temperatures, there's less anglers out on the streams and you typically can put together a good program and have a good day and it looks like you guys still catch a bunch of them in those conditions we do yeah Yeah. no we fish yeah they come up in the fall and we fish them all the way till Mm -hmm. the spring so but that's why you guys are going with crazy light leaders and teeny little jigs yes yes well it depends on where you're at like on the west side of the state of michigan we do get 20 pound fish yeah you know i mean that's not going to be like an everyday occurrence, but mm-hmm. many anglers catch them that big. Yeah, and an upper teen fish is definitely doable, especially in some of our natural reproduction streams. Yeah, yeah, man, I have got to go out there and do it sometime. And I'd yeah, like, you should. And I, I'd, I'd like to have you come down and fish uh, some of these Columbia tributaries and kind I of see would, the absolutely. I want to fish as many rivers for steelhead mm-hmm. as I can before. You know, I die. Absolutely. That's the goal anyways. Yeah. Well, you've been having a good time up here. You've managed to catch some ridiculous fish over the last couple years uh, up here when you come to Washington. And uh, what do you think about it, about Washington Steelhead? It's, I got to tell you, uh, the sights are are just to die for. I mean, even if I don't catch a fish, just the beauty of the Pacific Northwest, I cannot put it into words. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, coming looking through my eyes, it's just absolutely beautiful. And then if you do catch a wild ocean run steelhead, especially a trophy, mm-hmm. uh, I can't explain the feeling, but it is addicting. There's no doubt about yeah, it. Absolutely. And it trips my trigger. Yes. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, Roger. Um, Anything new coming up for this winter or anything you're going to be up to in the next couple of months? Well, to be honest with you, I, I, I'm i looking forward to slowing down. I've been in show season. I've mm-hmm. done seven or eight shows already. And when I come back from New York, I've already done 35 seminars oh, wow. since yeah. last fall. And, uh, you know, I don't... It's it's I don't mind doing it. I, I love to getting to, together with people, talking about fishing, and trying to maybe help somebody out there that wants to become a better angler. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, 
it has cut into my fishing. It, it has. So people it's, say, you know, uh, how's fishing? I go, I don't fish anymore. I talk about yeah, fishing. Yeah, you talk about it. <laughs> exactly. But no, it's uh, that's what's going on, and I'm going to slow down. I go to New York and then Grand Rapids, uh, and then I uh, end up in Ohio, and then I'll be done for the season. That's great. Yeah. Well, cool. Thank you so much, uh, Roger. Um, where where can people find out more about you and your seminars and everything that you do? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram or my Facebook page or my website, steelheadmanifesto.com. Yeah, Steelhead um, Manifesto. Look it up on Instagram and Facebook uh, for sure, Steelhead Manifesto. Yeah. And... Uh, Hopefully, Roger will post a picture up of that fish that he got. Um, yeah, I generally, what I do is, I, you know, I, I don't post many pics, mm -hmm. uh, but when I do, it's usually a good fish. And, yeah. And I never post them until, you know, I'm gone or it's at the end of the yeah. season. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a good idea. And he's a multi species angler. You'll see some giant smallmouth and. And walleye and what have you. Catfish. Yeah, for sure. Carp, you know. I love carp. I yeah. love anything freshwater. Uh, if it swims, I fish for it. Hey, I got. I just moved to a new place, and we have a lake, a ski lake, with some giant carp in it. Yes. Right on my property, so I'd like to get some tips from you. But I'll more, be more than happy to help you with that. Cool. All right. Thank you guys for listening uh, so much. And uh, this episode is brought to you by Salmon Trout Steelheader. Of course, so the best thing you can do to support this podcast is subscribe to the magazine Salmon Trout Steelheader or Great Lakes Angler. And Roger writes for both. He's got some incredible wealth of knowledge in those articles. So take a look. You can also find those articles online at Salmon Trout Steelheader or Great Lakes Angler. Just go search. Roger Hinchcliffe, H-I-N-C-H-C-L-I-F-F. -F. Yep. Perfect. You got it, guys. Take care and happy fishing.